because the arts is the the democratic version of history, right? It's not who was born into a bloodline or power controlling things and telling our history. It's this free moment through any of the humanities where a burst of the everyday person can reflect what our world actually is for us for posterity. So, um, you know, when, when a voice doesn't get through or when a whole chorus of voices, whether it's women or gay or queer or black people or Latinas, you know, all of those um, things in the system that we all know we're up against for hundreds and thousands of years. Hi, this is Andrew Rimby with the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, and we are breaking news right now because I'm actually joined with Mary DePippi. Hi, Mary. Hello. Jaren Usta. Hi, Jaren. Hi. And our special guest, Dawn Delacat. Hi, Dawn. Hi. <laughs> so Dawn is the executive director of Pen & Brush, and we're going to talk all things about Pen & Brush, but I have to reveal... We just had a really energetic pre-recording discussion. So <laughs> I think it's a great way to enter into this conversation about where you are at Pen & Brush, Dawn. So can you give our listeners now some of that behind the scenes? You were talking about your method of managing your team. Sure. Uh, so yes, I I have been at Pen & Brush. Uh, my relationship with Pen & Brush is, is a, a long one, <laughs> but I've been, I was the associate executive director for, um, I guess, since 2013 and, you know, was part of reinventing. So, so for anyone who doesn't know, Pen & Brush is a 128-year-old non-for-profit institution dedicated to uh, making space and pushing forward the work of women and now in, in today's terminology, non-binary artists and writers. So, um, you know, it's it's quite a legacy. And when you're coming to an organization or institution with with such a past and aiming to activate it always in, in the present decade for what artists and writers need to, to properly advocate for them, um, you know, it's it's definitely a process that I'm grateful uh, to my mentor, Janice Sands, for, um, you know, br bringing me into the fold of how she really saw what was inherent in the resource and how this institution was formed and what we could do that artists and writers very much needed um, in, in this current period. Janice came to the organization um, in the late 90s. So, um, you know, when, when I came to it with her, I was already really in a headspace of where I was studying art and then transitioning to art history and kind of understanding my way through a lot of different 
um, jobs in the field, what, what I was invested in deeply and passionately, which became um, sort of the atrocity of when a voice gets lost. It, you know, became a, like a very painful uh, thing to me and, and, you know, learning and realizing the depth of how when that happens over and over and over and to groups of entire people just because of ignorance or or biases or systematic um, evils and patriarchy and money and power that's tried to keep things out because the arts is the the democratic version of history, right? It's not who was born into a bloodline or power controlling things and telling our history. It's this free moment through any of the humanities where a burst of the everyday person can reflect what our world actually is for us for posterity. So, um, you know, when, when a voice doesn't get through or when a whole chorus of voices, whether it's women or gay or queer or black people or Latinas, you know, all of those um, things in the system that we all know we're up against for hundreds and thousands of years that we're like remediating now, um, very early on before I even had the words that like now I have, cause I have all the degrees and stuff, <laughs> you know, um, speaking of ivory tower boiler room, which I love, <laughs> you know, put, putting all those theories right into the fire. Um, I kind of came at such an organic path to this work that, um, like authenticity and understanding and learning and following where I wanted to go with this work was organic. And then I did the learning in the theory that supports it to, to say it in this way. So um, I don't even know what your question was anymore, Andrew. No, no, I think this is wonderful because like you're already just explaining and everyone can hear the nuances of your excitement, your creativity, but it, I'm really glad that you mentioned about Pen and Brush's mission, which yeah. is what drew me right away that August day on Governor's <sighs> Island when yes. I was representing Whitman Initiative, but also Ivory Tower Boiler Room and talked with you and just talked about the beginning stage of the podcast when we really didn't even have an Instagram yet. Um, <laughs> right. I don't think we actually did. And um, it's so wonderful, though, to see like you could tell as a mentor, you served as my mentor, Dawn, of seeing oh. like the grassroots, you know, energy we had. And like, it means so much that we're partnering with Pen and Brush because, you know, again, I am a white, gay, cisgender man. And I think it's really important that for Ivory Tower Boiler Room, that I bring marginalized voices to the forefront, like that these themes and conversations it's not just replicating my same identity over right. and over. And yeah, of course, like there are some guests who, you know, share my identities, but I think it's important, especially, well, I'm looking at my two team members with Mary and Jaren, who bring such intriguing perspectives. And, you know, mm -hmm. I want to say to you, Don, I am so thankful, but also 128 years. I mean, that kind of legacy of, I right? know. we're talking about the late 1800s. Right. It, mm -hmm. I mean, when I, when I think about those women and any time, you know, through these years with my predecessor, Janice Sands or our, our board members, I mean, we have some, some board members who are so um, ride or die and have been part over the last 30 some odd years of all the changes of this institution and bringing it forward. And we, and we all meet on that ground of the, the knowledge that, Anytime a voice gets lost, 
our our whole society loses something, right? Like no, no matter of whether you're specifically in that exact representation or not, if 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 you really understand the depth and capacity of what the humanities mean to the human race and our our growth and our health and our souls and 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 all of it, um, you 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 cut right through that and you 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 understand that um, that is sacred ground that the authenticity of needs to be protected and fostered always and and you know that's that's the ground that we all meet on and and what a fa fantastic thing I mean generations of of women guarding that and and um I say now non-binary but you know it's interesting and I I think I got to show this to you Andrew um there's an old photograph that we had in in the pen and brush where it was a group of women who were all dressed up and we, you would think it was Halloween, but it wasn't. It was a Valentine's Day party. And when you start to look into it, some of them are cross-dressing. Like there's, there's some who look like they're, they're dressing like a, a man from the colonial times or era. So, you know, we, when you scratch the surface, you start to see that it was also not only a safe space for women who, you know, the world thought they were insane in the late 1800s, running around with bustled skirts and four by five box cameras, like Jesse Tarbox Beals, one of the first, actually the first female journalist photographer to be collected by MoMA, you know, was a member of Pen and Brush. And, you know, I'm sure what people on the street thought of her running around as a woman doing this, you know? So not only, you know, are the roots of Pen and Brush a safe space, for women specifically trying to break out into, um, you know, different roles of who they were in life, it does seem to go to those layers of gender fluidity, um, you know, which makes perfect sense, you know, and, and as we come through the generations and, you know, like the board that I mentioned, you know, Rashida Ismali is our vice president, an extraordinary writer and educator, um, Nettie Forney Thomas, our current president, um, is is also an artist, so skilled, um, but an educator and and just what they did to sort of bring forward um, diversity in the pen and brush when they when they came on in the 80s and 90s, you know, just making space little by little. Um, it, it made sense that our natural allies would ultimately when we opened up the organization in a really democratic non membership way. Um, in the early 2000s, it started and officially only 2010, totally full on officially, because it takes time to change the rules of an old institution, you know, but every, every one of these people that I've either worked alongside or the ones who lived generations before who I've studied any seeds of information that we have in our archives was was really um just targeted and and trying to hold space and make space in all the ways that we talk about now for systematic institutional change which you know everything that 2020 brought us and i'm glad the four of us are sitting here and everyone <laughs> who's survived it you know um physically in our bodies but also mentally <laughs> what that whole journey was you know that we're all still kind of processing um, you know, I think, of course, the one good thing is like the lid is off on so much. Mm -hmm. And while it's scary to look at, you know, the horrors of of just racism rampant at part in parts of our country and even right in, you know, our, our own cities that we don't expect. 
at least the lid's off. So now we can deal with it in a new way at a new level. And, you know, I, I'm glad that those systematic um, big institutional conversations are happening, whether by force or whether by an epiphany, it's all the work that needs to be done. And we're, we're here for it. Pen and brush in some way or another has always been here for it. Um, and, and it is an extraordinary legacy that really is the honor of my life to, um, to contribute to and to hopefully do it proud justice, keeping moving it forward. So, yeah. Wow. Just so much passion and like everything that you just said, and it's so uh, like refreshing and authentic to like, kind of like hear those things from you, but, um, I like the one thing that you said, about the humanities and like how much, like how important it is, how like sacred ground it is for like, you know, our full humanness and how important it is to kind of like have these spaces, these safe spaces, these institutional spaces to kind of like give um, voice uh, to those that have been lost and repressed systematically yes. at the interest of like, you know, patriarchy, um, capital, exploitation, all kinds of exploitation, right? And and one thing that you said in the very beginning that like arts is the democratic version of, of history. I love that mm -hmm. so much. And uh, that like the importance of this whole like institution that how like, yeah, the holding of the space for like, talking about these issues like the systemic issues makes me wonder like how like in your opinion um like some of the work that pen and brush has like presented to the public to its audience mm -hmm. and I'm kind of thinking about like your um latest current exhibition that you still there is still going on Deborah Jack yeah. um how do you think um women's and non-binary um, individuals work offer a new perspective on some of these um, current, you know, social and cultural and political issues that we're grappling with. Yeah, um, I, I really love this question because it cuts so many ways, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you, you have, you have to, it, so for us, it's, it's always inherent. Um, we, we lead with artistic intent, mm -hmm. right? always we we meet the work where it is and it's about um hearing and seeing and understanding the power and impact and significance of what that artist or writer is hitting at right mm -hmm. so sometimes sometimes uh, uh gender factors very overtly in their voice sometimes it's unconscious mm -hmm. sometimes it's a process driven um, abstract work that you, I guarantee you, I'd bet you a million dollars. You couldn't tell me if it was created by a born male or female, mm -hmm. you know? So there's, there's all sides of that argument, right? Mm -hmm. That, um, you, you never want to put that overlay right to it automatically as an institution, you always want it to come this way from the work out. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and with Deborah, woof, Deborah is, is such, um, an incredible human being who has literally thought of everything. Um, not, not only does she have a fierce, extraordinary vision of a way of telling and, and speaking in abstraction and beauty through the landscape. I mean, she's really also like intuiting and listening to what the landscape tells yeah. us about colonial 
history and and you know she speaks of of memory what the land remembers and rememory mm-hmm. right and i would say in a very powerful way um and it's funny because we talk about the depth of the work so much and i don't know what deborah would actually say to this but to me i do feel it's feminine it's a feminine mother earth intuition from the ages that is just like she is she is hearing the roar of it and she is catching it with her camera and her films and her video like like never seen before honestly um you know these these layers of the the ocean and you know kind of like saying almost like climate change right politics Mm -hmm. can and i don't know if we can curse in this this yes please curse That's fine. Politics can fuck around with facts and science and history all they all they want to and all they they think that they're pulling the wool over someone's eyes. But when you when the rubber meets the road with climate change, this land remembers and it is going to even itself out, even if it is to humanity's pearl, you know, and so like the power of that and how Deborah is recognizing that that incontestable layer of what the land remembers and how it tracks to the roots of slavery through the actual ocean and the middle passage and the patterns of hurricanes and weather problems how how it's it's you know those atrocities against the the humanities have a scientific impact that our our land has held onto mm-hmm. it's extraordinary i mean we we have um a catalog, Deborah's. The catalog for her show is coming out at the end of the exhibition, Man. and um, one of the scholars that contributed taps into. I don't want to. I mean, it's kind of a spoiler alert, but so what? Then people might be interested in looking out for the catalog. Um, this this one scholar, Hershini, uh, taps into scientific proof of what happened during the Rodney King beatings in California. There's scientific proof. And, and, and a, a registry of the impact on the earth that that uprising actually put into, mm-hmm. into the universe. So um, I'm, I'm blown away by it. Uh, she's, she's so incredible. And this is exactly why we exist to fight for, to make space and, and greater recognition that artists like Deborah Jack deserve because they've been going at it, whether, whether they got recognition from the field or not, whether they got commercial recognition from the primary art market or not, they're absolutely compelled to create. They see it. They see a storyline that needs to be told for the health of our society needs to be understood. And they, they, they have an incredible gift and, and honed skill of showing it to us in this ominously beautiful way that I think is another incredible democratic tool because yeah. these are these are hard topics right like let's rediscuss the history of slavery and colonialism right like yeah. you know the pressure um is on but through an artist's hands or a writer's hands where they can weave it and show it to us in these layers of beauty or lines that just you know um, captivate us through the, the poetry or dripping like honey of the rhythm of the words, but like, you know, thinking of like Toni Morrison, you know, oh, yeah. well, mm-hmm. like they, they just, they, they're, they're a great communicator because I feel like they have the capacity of maybe people who are on, you know, two sides of that argument, whether it's a 
you know, willful like power mongering or ignorance or lack of access to knowledge. We're on two different sides, but through something beautiful and through the layer of the arts and the lens of the arts that we can unpack and discuss this history and these truths and this fact and what it what it means for our the health of our society um, is is a, a day well spent fighting for that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I know? cannot agree more. And like when the topics that, you know, you just discussed and their artwork, you know, engages with like slavery, colonialism, when the archive that's like available to us is one that's presented to us by like patriarchy and controlled yeah. by patriarchy. And like when that like official version of it is, is, or like it doesn't exist, you know, it's, there's no like objective camera, like that's like held to that entire experience. It doesn't exist yeah. and it's been distorted. So what you have, what you're left with is, um, art and literature and those are extremely powerful and important tools to engage with these topics and to have such spaces like pen and brush to you know support that to um give space to that is is incredibly incredibly important i think so i individually want to like thank you for for the work that you do Oh, thank you. I mean, you I, you all know how this is because you all are are doing lifting as well, right along with Pen and Brush and me in in all of your own rights and your your purviews. So, um, yeah, you know how it is when you when you realize it and you can uh, see a path of how you can equip yourself to do something productive about it. Yes, you know it's it's grueling. It is a massive mountain to climb. Sometimes it's that albatross, you know, yeah. but if not me, who, if not now, when, mm -hmm. you know, is something that I'm sure clicked off in all of our heads as we were struggling to make our path uh, to do this work. And that's, that's really how it is. You see the importance and you can only hope that within your lifetime, you'll, you'll push some of those needles forward and tick away mm -hmm. at, at some of the changes that need to be done. Um, you know, and, and yeah, feel, feel like you did something to pour a little speck that made this world a better place than when you were born into it, you know, whether your name's known for it or not. And especially me sort of wanting to be the, the woman behind the curtain for our artists and writers so much, um, even though I realize it's important to be upfront and have these conversations with my peers, um, you know, so that we can all feed each other's, um, resilience and and our thinking and our ideas and we can spark off each other to to join forces as comrades and make ever more space you know in the end what i want to be remembered for posterity is is the deborah jacks and the lola flashes um you know and our and our journals that we publish those are the things and i'm just like you know maybe a little name down the bottom <laughs> so yeah Thank you. And I appreciate all of you really. And, and making this space to talk about it, you know, cause sometimes we do all this work and it, and it just like an artist or a writer facing that blank page or blank canvas, it's so insular until they find their community, you know, especially once you're out of, if, if you've had access to academia, once you're out of those programs and you don't have that, um, you know, room full of people that cares about this more than anything, <laughs> and you're, you're just alone creating, like it, it can be that for all of us too, in our roles as absolutely. educators. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, absolutely. you know, 
just mm-hmm. like a side note from what you're saying, Dawn, I think it's so important that you mention about, or like you're bringing up a lot of discussion around privilege and yeah. like Jaren's talked about patriarchy. Like also when you have privileges, how are you supporting these creative voices who need to be uplifted? And I think that once you see that you have privileges that you could use to lift up, like you're doing with Deborah Jack, for example, yes. you can't go back. Like there's no. times when I look back at the way old things were done in my life or even how they're done in academia and I would never want to go back. Okay, hold on to that question because we'll be right back. But first, a word from our sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply to the old right it's it's not it doesn't feel as organic and inspiring sometimes Mm -hmm. when when it's held for a private community that's I should clarify Mm -hmm. like if it's only going to be available to these 10 people yeah like it doesn't Mm -hmm. fit what you're saying about this democratic tool that the arts serve and I think to echo Jaren it's so important what you've said Dawn about that importance of art being for the people. Yeah. I yeah, think. absolutely. I know exactly what you mean. I mean, and I, 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 you know, I think we all sort of know the difference when we put that, that, that new lens of um, this dialogue that we've all like either organically come to or through theory and learning. And, you know, it always happens in theory and in those papers first, just like the first wave feminists, like Linda Nochlin's Why Are There No Great Women Artists broke things open in a theoretical sense and putting a lens. And, you know, you look at the space that was made out of, um, that first wave of, of feminist run co-ops and journals and magazines and, and, and how much space they made and then where they met with their end. Right. And like, it took how many years of cultural workers reading that and digesting that from that ivory tower, putting it in that everyday boiler room of how do we make space and actually doing it and making the space. So you know, this this change takes generations. And when we look back to those lenses of history, I'm sure you've all, all felt this, you know, you have the people that, even though it may be at an institution was like very like, you know, like you look at the Met and why it was started, like, oh, rich people are so sad that they're missing the antiquities of Europe. <laughs> like, let's start an institution, right? Like, you know, that totally sucks. It's completely opposite of like El Museo and it being birthed from the community up. But at the same time, never throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Like, <laughs> like we're, 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 the Met brought things to all of our um, doorsteps that, we, we may never have seen otherwise. And then you have like such subversive, incredible curators like Larry Stotes Sims spending time at the Met and, you know, subversively making space, knowing how it's a chess game of what 
acquisitions you're championing and how much space you're trying to make for underrepresented voices, but, but being willing to sit at that table that, that may have just decades of patriarchy ingrained in it that you're up against power and, you know, the white male board and who's controlling the money, but to have those subversive people within those privileged sets, you know, started to sow the seeds of changing everything. And for, for people like us, you know, I, I'll never forget like being in my city college museum studies courses and realizing that I could go to the Watson library at the Met and like read letters that Lowry wrote campaigning for what they were going to buy and how, and like learning from those masters, how to be subversive to systems, you know, but, but friendly, right. You can't, you, you know, there's the burn it down theory that like, this isn't working, which I totally get, you know, that like anarchy punk rock attitude of like, just totally like Bernie Sanders, make it a new way. And then there's the middle road of our reality of how we've all learned you make space and history and even politics. It's like such a slow burn to sustain change, but it's necessary because you have to make space within what you're given. Mm. Yeah, you need those co-ops to like upset things. You need your AOC to like say the most outlandish things. And then you've got to find your generations to like meet it in the middle. And I feel like with this type of advocacy and when you're taking an institutional mission and trying to look at the field and like, okay, how does work move forward? How does it get into the canon? How, how do you support a voice to get it through? And what are all the tools of this field that have done that productively? And how do I subversively, but in a friendly way, <laughs> make space and find my like minds so that we can all come together to put pressure, um, you know, to, to get these voices financially supported so that they don't stop creating. You know, you also, we have remediations like Deborah Jack, who, you know, has been so, so compelled and sustained it and stayed the course um, for an organization like us to, to come meet her already on third base and try to carry her over home plate, same with our Lola Flash success story. She, you know, was already on third. She just needed the resource to carry her home and celebrate with, you know, but then we have like these incredibly fiery young voices that are grappling with the world on top of them in every possible way, whether it's finding where they are on the non-binary spectrum and, and carving out their voice, right? You see the beginning of their fingerprint and it's such fire and it's a spark, but they need to develop it to become consistent. But at the same time, you know, 2020 is cracking open, the world's upon them. You know, what pronoun do I feel fits me? And, and from inside out, like they're feeling the, the heat and the fire and the pressure of the world around them while they're trying to like be the crystallist that becomes the butterfly. So like there's, there's so much that can go wrong that one of our next great voices could end up just, you know, going, going downhill, not support it or, or for the comfort of sustaining survival in life might have to give up the art. Right. And especially if you're if you are a, a woman who wants to or or anyone who wants to rear children, you know, we all know like the making the living to keep the roof over your own head. If you decide to rear a child, the, the third thing you're writing or your art is going to be what falls away, you know, and Pen and Brush had a an incredible institutional memory and knowledge of so many women stepping away from their art, their passion, because of raising a family 
And then coming back to pen and brush after the kids went off to college. And sadly, sometimes it was too late. They just too much time had been lost of them, like digging in and, and being in tune of that zeitgeist, if you will, you know, in the world and, and what that meant for aesthetics or, you know, where, where literature was going. I mean, it's, I, I, I always find literature and I'd be interested to know what you all think of this, especially Andrew. I always find that writing and, and the canon of literature can be so much more um, elastic than the visual arts and contemporary art world in, in terms of like um, when a writer finds their actual voice versus when an artist finds their actual voice. And if that's not sort of the thing of the time, it's very hard for a visual artist <laughs> to get any traction in the primary market where it's a little bit different and elastic on the literary side of things. I mean, harder for so many other reasons, <laughs> you know, when you get into like real equity and talking about money and royalties of what a writer is going to get if a book is a success versus what an artist is gonna get if that tangible art object can gain equity and you can break through, you know, the scales are, are so much chipped. But I do, I do feel that the, the literary canon can be a little bit more elastic in that sort of like weighing of what is is the reflection of the zeitgeist now if you will yeah, yeah definitely i mean I, I completely agree literary like the writing aspect it's definitely way more elastic there's also a lot more options i think mm. versus fine art um or like you know an artist with the canvas and things like that um I do kind of want to backtrack a little bit um, just because obviously the main mission of pen and brush is to highlight voices that were not highlighted. Yeah. I can't imagine what it must have been like to have been a woman 120 years ago and finding a space where it's like, oh, wait, my voice matters. <laughs> like, wait a minute. Yeah. I mean, I don't have to be approved by a man. What? I mean, like that concept must have been so crazy and it just seems like you know it's really like you said fostered and made a safe place for people to share their art and you know be able to still create how do you think or how do you see the future of pen and brush and the impact it will have on future artists uh yeah I mean yes to all of that I, my mind is blown when I anytime I'm having like a a moment where we're really up against it for one reason or another and it and it feels so impossible what we're trying to break through at the moment as an institution or whether it's the individuals that we're trying to make space for and you know that outside traction and reception is just not maybe as immediate as it really needs to be for the situation i think back to 1894 and how like in surmountable for the positioning of women it had to be for for this group of women to have the ovaries to come together yeah. and say you know what we are done asking for permission you know we're gonna we're gonna come together and find a mutually beneficial way to make space for ourselves which is essentially what they were doing i mean in that period it was like art societies and clubs, you know, that were like the vessel and the avenue. And, you know, sure, it could be said that those women who, even though they were like struggling artists and writers in New York to some degree, still a privilege, right, for that period. Mm -hmm. So, but at the same time, you know, 
if if we never progress and make space where you know people who've been kept out can have that that freedom to speak democratically about our world we're in trouble even if you're the quote unquote like desperately struggling unprivileged who just to put food on the table you you know no way can you worry about reading a poem or someone's voice not being heard in a poem or an artwork but it's it's all on a scale that relates to each other you know um i i remember we have a dear colleague bina sarkar elias um who started this incredible magazine international gallery out of mumbai india she came out of the um advertising industry and her husband's a filmmaker and they you know about i guess i don't know if she's on her 25th issue now but um you know so pre-internet she decided they were going to use their skill for this art being the great democratic communicator and how that is um sometimes in a in a an, a capitalist well always in a capitalist but sometimes in a capitalist power mongering way the tools of of our visual aesthetics and how humans brains receive it are used in advertising just to make money right so they they said that enough is, is enough our skill we are starting a magazine and we are going to go around to regions of the world where underrepresented voices across all the arts don't have any access or exposure and we're going to immerse ourselves and study it and we are going to publish an exquisite issue using all of these great tools of advertising and i mean she was literally a one-woman army that went into museums and libraries and campaigned for like curatorial libraries to subscribe because her case was your curators will not have access to this work any other way and pre-internet how true was that you know yeah. so i i bring that up because um you know, when, uh, I don't even want to say his name on this podcast. It's, it's almost like, you know, you don't say Macbeth in a theater, you know, no, who I'm talking no. about, like who occupied the white house <laughs> from no, 2016 to 2020. Like, I think in this sacred space, you just don't say that name, but no, we um, never say the name usually. No, you can't, you can't. Um, so, and no offense to Macbeth, my God, I love Shakespeare, but <laughs> I feel like I've offended Macbeth now, but, um, you know, but she and I, you know, we've, we've known each other for, I guess, 20 years now. And we've always had this relationship that I've loved. And she's a poet herself where, um, you know, that middle of the night, my 3am, her 3am, we would have these like soulful exchanges across oceans. And when I would talk about the conditions here, and she would be concerned about the conditions here, of course, as we all are when it happened, in 2016 and you know it's like totally devastating um she would be saying like what's the climate there how are things going and i would say it but then knowing what was going on in mumbai where the the political control is so much more immediately affecting your life where like you know the the worth of people's money drops immediately and there's lines at the bank to try to withdraw your money before this decision or decree is made you know so different than us railing about you know who and then walking out of the gallery and getting a Starbucks, you know? So like that's that first world, third world privilege access of, of advocates. And, um, you know, I remember like, you know, talking openly about this with Bina and she said, never, never feel that way. In, in the quote unquote third world, we already know we're looking to the quote unquote first world and if your democracy is backsliding and support of the humanities and support of people's voices is going down, we're all in worse trouble 
than, than we ever were. And she said, you know, something to the effect of furthermore, when a voice is denied being heard, it's equal. It doesn't matter what you look like, what world you're from, that atrocity of a, of a voice not being heard or equity and basic human, you know, uh, recognition of who you are is pushed down. We are all equal in that atrocity, you know? So <clears throat> I wanted to share that because I feel no, like no. It's, it's I think a gift. it's so mm -hmm. important. And right. You know, it's what's sad is we have to conclude, but <laughs> you know, that I know Dawn, you're more than welcome back to the ivory tower boiler room podcast space. Cause I think we're going to continue these conversations. We have to continue. This we have to, because yeah, we have to. And what you just said was so important. And I think is a great transition space for all of us here to tell the listeners, especially if they're in the Manhattan, New York city, Jersey, Connecticut, PA, um, Long Island, uh, I don't know, the Northeast Corridor. There you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, you know, we're so excited, Ivory Tower Boiler Room, to be doing an open mic night with Pen and Brush happening on February 20. Oh my gosh, February 12th. Oh, no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait, no, that's not right. February 12th at um, starting from four and it goes till six. And like Dawn has been talking about Deborah Jack, it is Deborah Jack. It's your last night with Deborah Jack's installation. So it's a really yes. privilege to be there for the closing reception and to actually hear from Deborah Jack herself with her poetry. And yes. I am so excited because I think the importance of what you just said, that when a voice is lost, it's fell at any level. This is why what we're doing together, it means so much to have that democratic space. Yes. So on that note, first, um, please, if you can go over to Pen and Brush's website, I think it's, do you want to say, Dawn, how sure. they can reach? Yes, you? it's um, Pen and, the A-N-D is spelled out, penandbrush.org. Um, and you can, you can find out, you can see a little sneak peek of Deborah Jack's exhibition that's on view. Uh, as Andrew was saying, there's an incredible immersive on top of 20 years of her work. There is an extraordinary immersive installation downstairs um, in our gallery with um, over 6,000 pounds of salt involved. So if, it's incredible. if you are in the area, it, it is incredible. It's very moving and rich. And um, on February 12th, we're so excited to team up with Ivory Tower Boiler Room. And um, I don't know if Andrew said this, it is an open mic night. So there is a period that anyone who wants to come and express their voice with us, um, you can sign up through our website to do that and get to see the exhibition hear Deborah Jack close the show. So um, we'd love to meet you all. Um, yes. And there's going to be some um, tea and some wine and I think maybe other treats. So it's going to be such, and it's such a nice time, right? Four to six on a Saturday on the 12th. If you want to see a Broadway show, you have time. You know, if you want to do something beforehand, I just love that it's right at that nice afternoon period. So we yes. here are so excited to meet you all out there who are listening. That means a lot. And already people are messaging me to sign up for their poetry. So keep DMing Ivory Tower Boiler Room 
or pen and brush will add you to the list if you already know you want to read your poetry. So um, make sure you follow pen and brush on social media. They have a great uh, Twitter account, a really wonderful Instagram. And yeah, it's meant so much, Dawn, for you to be here. This was everything you said resonates so deeply. So um, oh. thank you. And I can't wait to have you back again. Thank you. Thank you. This this was wonderful. As we know, when we all get together, we're <clears throat> so congruent and on the same wavelength that, um, you know, we we definitely do uh, start start a little fire together. And I'm so happy. I, and, and it's no surprise that we met over uh, books and the incredible Walt Whitman initiative. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm so happy to have you all and, and count you as uh, peers and colleagues and friends to keep this dialogue going. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Donna. And I'll have Mary and Jaren. We'll all say a collective bye together. Okay. Ready? <laughs> bye, Don. Bye, Don. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> We hope that you enjoyed Art is the Democratic Version of History. I want to really thank Dawn Delicat for her time, for her wisdom. I really think we need to do a part two in the near future. So, you know, we'll release some of that, hopefully, to just continue up this conversation about these interrelated connections between art and literature and, you know, breaking down these um, boundaries and making sure that art is accessible to the public and how we think about that, both Pen and Brush and Ivory Tower Boiler Room. As you can hear, we have a lot of interrelated philosophical ideas, which is why this is wonderful that our first event in Manhattan is with Pen and Brush. We're so happy to collaborate with them. The event is called Pen and Brush Reads with Ivory Tower Boiler Room, happening on February 12th from 4 to 6 p.m., it is at Pen and Brush's location, so 29 East, 22nd Street in Manhattan, uh, right in the Flatiron District, about a block away from the Flatiron Building. Very beautiful area. Um, so hope to see many of you there. Go to our show notes. There is the RSVP form as well as um, the link will take you to the sign-up sheet for where you can sign up to read. So don't worry, this isn't our last collaboration by far. It's going to continue and blossom, and I can't wait to see what else we get to do with Pen and Brush. Um, and there'll be many opportunities for you to meet us in person. So I really want to thank Mary and Jaren for joining me. I love when Mary and Jaren are on the podcast. So there is a video version of our discussion with Dawn on our Patreon. Um, you didn't think I'd forget about Patreon, patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room. You will see, um, that if you go to it right now, there is our video interview with Dawn and only for this interview, we're releasing it for any level of our patrons. So it can be the bookworm level, the scholar level, or the ivory tower level. So it's going to be wonderful to get to see the whole team and Dawn on the video, on Patreon. And I do want to shout out our first patron. Thank you, Joe Milholland. Joe, we're giving you a cheers. Thanks for becoming a bookworm patron. And if you become a patron, 
you unlock all of the unedited audio as well as the videos if you join at the ivory tower level but like i said for our interview with dawn any level will unlock the video so yeah i also i have to do a social media plug i almost forgot um I'm still kind of like in a blizzard mindset because I just came back from shoveling. Uh, we got hit with <laughs> a large snowstorm in the Northeast and I'm on Long Island, but I got, <laughs> I got my car out. Okay. I'm not going to talk too much about that um, because I want you all to head over to our social media, Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room, Twitter at Ivory Boiler Room. We have a bit Facebook, Ivory Tower Boiler Room, and we have a TikTok that's going to grow soon. Ivory Tower Boiler Room, because I want to introduce, we have two new podcast interns. So welcome to the team, Kimberly Dallas and Nicole Arguello. It means so much that you are our interns and we're excited to have you here. So cheers to our new interns and we hope all of you out there are doing well and are staying, you know, in a peaceful mindset and turning to art and culture because it really does help maintain a level of tranquility. <laughs> okay, bye everyone and hope to see some of you in Manhattan.